Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast, where we explore stories from around the world. We hear from educators, parents, students, entrepreneurs and scientists about innovations that help make learning easier and more successful. I'm your host, Peter Barnes. Today is the 100th episode of the Learning Capacity Podcast, and we are marking the occasion with a special interview. Authors Jan Leader and Graham Mitch Mitchell discuss their new book, Anne Through a Streamer, a story for children about a young Australian woman's World War I experiences. They explain their family connections to the woman who wrote the diaries on which their book is based, and how Anne Through a Streamer has been made available on voice recognition technology to help children improve their reading fluency and comprehension. Jan and Mitch are interviewed by learning specialist David Stanley. Hello, Jan, Graham. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Awesome, this story about Anne through a streamer connecting a nurse, an Australian nurse to World War One, the Gallipoli campaign, her contribution and, and her life post-war, adopting a child and raising it as a single parent. Lots and lots of issues in here. So I guess first off is... Um, big question. Who can write a book? What's your thoughts on that, Jan? Anyone can write a book. Anyone that can read and write or has access to voice recognition software. It's about motivation, patience, and being passionate about the subject you want to write about. It's it's also Mitch. It's also about keeping the integrity of the work, the real meaning as you see it. Sometimes someone else just a little bit removed can see something in the order that's writing passionately about doesn't. So sometimes I think it's also important to share the work in order to make it better. Fantastic. What's your connection with Anne Donnell? That's the main character in here. The story came from, I believe, Anne Donnell's diaries. How are you guys connected, Mitch? Yeah, I'm just... Um, the connection. The connection with Anne... Is, is a long one. Um, when mum told us the story about her childhood, her father was Aboriginal in 1938, that wasn't okay. As a result, her family shunned us and mum, and, mum never got home or, and she never got over it. Uh, she was the last of nine children and she wasn't welcome. So this changed her life, mine and my brother's. But it seemed that Anne had no bias of any description other than a love for humanity. So she took mum in and adopted her. And I think some parts of society are maturing faster than others and therefore now most are more accepting of race. What wasn't okay in 1938 is okay now in 2019. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so how did, you, how did you discover Anne's story? Oh, um, when Anne wrote the diaries they ended up going to mum and no one knew they existed. When mum passed away, they sat in a, basically in an airtight makeup case. And then one day my brother accidentally found them, opened them up, pulled the diaries out, rang me up pretty much immediately and told me what he had. And because I'm the reader, I suppose, he, uh, he sent them up to me. And the moment I opened the package. I looked at them and I just thought, oh, wow, this is, um, this is really important history, but probably more so 
really important women's history. So it became a bit of a mission from that moment on. Now, uh, it really has. You, you, you actually took the time to write this story so that younger kids could connect with some of the messages. What's uh, the connection both of you have with youth issues? What, what's the motivation here for the kids' story? Um, well, for me, I think we need to pass on a better world than we inherited. I know a lot of people think the same, but a lot of people seem to forget that they were young once. If we look after humanity and we take care with our youth, we look after our future. Yeah. I think I think something in there also, um, if we choose to look after ourselves above all else, something else usually suffers. And quite often that is our young people. So it's a real skill to be able to engage with them or engage with at-risk marginalised young people on the streets alone. It's not for everyone, but it was by far the most rewarding job I ever attempted. Cool, cool. So in terms of writing the book, Jan, first, what was the most interesting part of that experience for you? I guess for me it was falling in love with Anne while I learnt about our Australian history through the eyes of someone that was there. I, I didn't really know a lot about World War One until I read Anne's diaries. And when I came across a place that I hadn't heard of or wasn't sure how to spell it, I'd Google it and then I'd get lost for the next hour or so researching that. And, you know, of course, going with the 60 Minutes team to retrace some of Anne's steps, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. That was right. That was a whole documentary that was on TV last year at the beginning of uh, 2018. No, it was Uh on the beginning of the centenary. It aired in 2015. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So already, I believe you guys fully transcribed her books. So that's going to come out later this year as a a much more readable form of her diaries. But uh, in 1920, there was a collection of her letters that were published by Angus and Robinson, I believe. Yes. uh, When when Anne came back, the call went out through the New South Wales Library, the Mitchell Library, to ask for records, written records of uh, anything that people had kept from World War One, and Anne, being such a writer, had done exactly that. So, but what she did, she went one step further. She actually wrote a book herself, based on her diaries, a sort of a sort of a sanitised or edited version, and they published it. But we have the entire diaries uh, in their raw form, just straight as she wrote them. That's pretty amazing. So that's what I think you said, something like three and a half years of almost daily entries of what happening yeah. literally and then the Western Front. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think that she had such an elegant turn of phrase when she wrote and there's a lot to be said for well-educated and she obviously was. She had a real, she had a real way with words. You could see that she very carefully thought through what she was going to say and she was... Um, no, yeah, she was actually just very. She was a very elegant person. So, Mitch, for you, from your perspective in writing the book and and connecting with, I guess, who in a large amount is your adopted grandmother. What yeah. was the most interesting part of the experience writing this book and through a streamer so that kids could connect with it? One of the really interesting parts was uh, for me going to Gallipoli and learning more about um, how clever and well read Anne was, how beautifully she could write. 
the the connection that she had and created with those soldiers was extraordinary. And the the ability for her as a nurse um, to make decisions on the spot, nurses were given more and more leeway and more freedom to do so. I think the Anne Donnell that went to war was a very different uh, woman to the Anne Donnell that came back to Australia. She was um, she was a very clever and heroic woman. Humble. Yeah, very, very humble, humble as well. That's amazing. What, what do you reckon is one of the more pertinent points that you've managed to weave into the actual story of Anthro Streamer that, uh, the, that makes it easier for kids to connect with the World War I message and the participation of women and the role of our female Anzacs in World War I? Well, that was, there's not, as you know, there's not a lot of history about the women. It's mostly about the Anzacs. But I think the thing that will interest the kids the most is the little dog because he not only brought joy to the soldiers, he became a reason for them to stay alive so they could return him and themselves safely home to the country that they all loved because they they all, in their writings, said how much they loved Australia and how much they missed it. Yeah, and I think there's one thing that we forget is that the decision to save that dog was made after its owner was killed in battle. So people were actually killing each other. And while that was going on, a group of, disol- a group of soldiers decided um, that whatever happened and whoever was left alive, they'd take that dog home to the, to the young soldier's mother. I'll tell you what, if that's not heroism, I don't know what is. And, and on top of that, the dog was on board the ship. So the, the soldiers, there were about 12 to 14 of them, were hiding him all over the yeah. ship standing guard over him 24-7 until they got home. But when one of the officers found out about the dog, he threatened to throw the dog overboard and the soldiers then threatened if the dog went over, so would he. And so here's where, <laughs> here's where Anne coming home was different to the Anne that went out there because she actually approached the captain's table alone, uninvited in 1919 to plead for the dog's life, and that was unheard of really. But by then... By that time, the little dog had kind of reached a legendary status all over the ship uh, to the degree that Anne ended up, ended her diary with a comment about the little dog. That sort of highlights the importance of it to her. So that actually resonated with us too. And I often wonder and think somewhere that a mother somewhere would have seen a couple of soldiers walking up a driveway with, her son's dog. I don't know. I don't know if I can imagine the effect that that would have had on her and that they'd smuggled the dog around the world. And I think that the effect that would have had on them would have been equally as profound and would have stayed with them for the rest of their lives. And I think that's really passing it forward. That's that's what being Australian is really all about. It's a very different human side to oh, the yeah. returned war vet story from what occurred just 50 years later and the, what the Vietnam guys went through, isn't it? Oh, massively different. They, the, the Vietnam guys, we've got, a, we've got an, an ex-Navy clearance diver who's a friend, he lives just around the corner, and his recollection of coming home was... Off. Yeah, it wasn't Australia at its best. Um, and I think sometimes we, we forget that... 
people have really gone above and beyond. That is huge. It is huge, isn't it? And, mm. you know, one of the things that uh, really struck me is after reading the book and having a conversation with you about it and then seeing what Anne did on her return really does uh, change the concept of doing one's duty. Um, oh, she really personified, you know, uh, that, that self-sacrifice. I mean, raising as a single parent is always a tough job. How how would it have been? Is there anything in her diaries or any memories passed down through your mum of the challenges Anne had in raising an Aboriginal half-caste child? Mum was always very, very complimentary about Anne. Um, she didn't speak much about her family because she was ostracised and so were we. Um, we met them once and that was because of the 60 Minutes thing but up until that, they hadn't wanted to know us. So I think, again, it just shows the tenor of Anne Donnell that she was prepared to just take in a child sort of out of the blue that wasn't wanted and dark, and mum was, mum was, yeah, fairly dark. Anne just welcomed her with open arms, yeah. said, yes, I want this little baby, I'll raise her. I'll care for her. I'll make sure she has a happy life. And then took her to England, took mum to England, and she obviously had a had a very profound effect on mum and obviously it affected mum's life. And as I said before, myself and my brothers, it affected our lives also. She was a pretty incredible woman. Sorry. One of the interesting things uh, that, that you happened to mention was that when Anne first took your mum in, the connection with the other side of your, your family heritage, that's the Aboriginal side, and it, it was really brought to Anne's attention quite strongly and unexpectedly. What what was the gift that someone had left on her doorstep? Yes, a couple of days after she took mum home, uh, somebody left a small shield, like a guard shield. An Aboriginal. Yeah, a handmade, hand-carved Aboriginal shield that we still have. And it was left on the doorstep up against the door. And we can only assume because we never found out it was never, we never found out who left it there, but we can only assume that it was some sort of guard protection. We know who you are. Use this to guard yourself against whatever potentially because your life's not going to be easy. And it wasn't. Mum struggled. Mum struggled forever. It was a pretty profound gift with a lot of meaning attached to it. That, um, that is, that is fantastic. And uh, look, I guess if you fast forward to the, the last half a dozen years and as you said, 60 Minutes captured the story and, and profiled Anne and I believe there was a, uh, a young student that wrote a story in a competition for war veterans. Yeah, that's correct. Um, it was a young girl over in South Australia and she just emailed me and I referred her to Anne's website. I sent her a copy of Anne through a streamer. I helped her with some of her answers. She did a presentation and she was so excited to yeah, let me was. know that she'd won first prize in a trip to Vietnam. And that's all because she saw some snippet about Anne and she was really interested and she made the effort to read up on her and find out about her. It just goes to show that one person can really make a difference 
even when no one's watching, doing the right thing, Anne always did the right thing and it counts. So 100 years later, a small girl just having a look finds that, finds a reference to it, tracks us down, Jan teams up with her, sends her the book, and next thing she's gone to Vietnam and talked about Anne. So Anne's, Anne's still alive. She's still here. That's that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I was just looking at the actual webpage from the Veteran South Australia where the, the story is mentioned and just the opening that's obviously an extract out of Andonel's diaries. They hit the shore. You could hear the shots from the Dardanelles. They reached the hospital, a patch of rocky ground with soldiers lying in the sun, flo- flies swarming. This is Lemnos Island. What was we've Lemnos got- like when you visited there? Number one, we've got that photograph that you've just talked about. There's a couple of them. We've got both of them. And it was exactly how she described it. It was really cold. The wind just goes straight through your clothing. It was rough ground. There were rocks everywhere. And all that's left of the hospital is just sort of the foundations, the limestone limestone footings of it. But, yeah, it's a brutal place. I, I really don't know how they survived it. And because they because they weren't very well provisioned when they got there, they even struggled more. So they they were on half rations for quite a long time. Only the nurses were on yeah. half rations. Yeah, and the British out in the bay were doing five courses. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, well, look, one of the powerful things, and I have to thank you very much for making this great story available to be used with some modern technology, the uh, Reading Assistant Plus, so that more and more kids can tap into this story. With your first sort of look and view around the technology, how do you feel the fact that people not only can read the hardcover but will be able to read a digital version and have it as a, a learn-to-read theme where kids can actually connect with part of the Anzac legend from a female point of view and uh, just understand what one person's contribution can be to make the world a bit better. How, how does it feel to actually have a look at it in um, electronic form now? Oh, we're, we're so lucky that smart, motivated people created technology that helps readers and writers alike. Um, for mine, understanding the written words kind of like discovering treasure, really. The whole world just opens up, everything takes on a new place, and that somebody was caring enough to create a series of resources that young people can look at, connect with and respond to and then be part of it, interact with, that's amazing. Ah. And the the bit that um, I think one of the things that really resonates is we've got a series of heroes and most of them have been forgotten. You know, a lot of them lie in faraway lands, cradled. We've got Tom. (laughs) We've got Simpson and his donkey, we've got Weary Dunlop, and now we've got Anne Donnell, and I think Anne's earned the right to stand shoulder to shoulder with the very best this country's ever had to offer. That's a bit cool. I said I'm, I'm feeling pretty excited that children in other countries can learn just a little bit of our Australian history and learn about Anne Donnell. That is, that is pretty amazing, isn't it? Final thoughts before we wrap this podcast. Jan, what are you hoping young kids will take away from reading Anne's story? Uh, I, I hope they realise that just one person can make a huge difference 
you know, when when no one else even knows that they're they're just going about their business doing their thing. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, they can do that too. Yeah, yeah, cool. And Mitch, for you, the connecting of you both to your mob and the Anne Donnell's humanity and graciousness. Yes. There's, it's not over yet. Uh, it's in some ways, it's just beginning. And I'd like to have another go at the um, Simpson thing. We have Simpson and his donkey. We have Weary Dunlop, and now we have Anne Donnell. And Anne's earned the right to stand shoulder to shoulder with the best this country's ever had to offer. The next part about the story, Anne, as it unfolds, is it's only beginning. It hasn't ended. There's a we're writing a book, we're writing a, a novel about the whole story to do with Anne based on the diaries and where she went and what she did. So so it's love story, action, adventure. Yes, it is. So that's so there's a, about there's a, a number two on its way. Very much so. A second instalment. Look, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and energy to talk with us and share with us the history and the insights and the personal connection with Anne Donnell and her story. And, of course, the fantastic little dog that's, I guess, the one of the key characters through the book itself and uh, really look forward to seeing the way that helps a whole new generation of children, not just in Australia and New Zealand, but around the world, connect with the legend of the Anzacs and the sadness and uh, of the Gallipoli story. Thank you both very much, Jan, Mitch, and uh, look forward to seeing the next book. Yes, Thanks. we do too. <laughs> Thanks very much for your time, Dave. It's been really uh, interesting to work together on this and really appreciate the time and effort that you've put in. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFastHQ.com, delivering the world's best evidence-based solutions for learning since 1999. Head over to our website to read a transcript of the podcast. Go to LearnFastHQ.com, that's L-E-A-R-N-F-A-S-T-H-Q.com, and click on Podcast in the menu at the top of the page. And don't forget to subscribe in your listening app so you don't miss hearing any of the interesting discussions about learning, teaching and education. Music